You are listening to the sermon podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, I've been enjoying our time in the book of Mark. If, uh, if, if you're new here to us at Triumph, we've been going through texts since last fall. We've been using all of our preaching texts from the gospel of Mark, and, and, and I'm loving it. And I hope you found it valuable too, if you've been able to, to join us. Right now we're in a, a part of the, the book of Mark with some texts we're calling the Way of the King. And it's, it's where we take a look at Jesus, the King, which is kind of the theme of all of the book of Mark. And uh, then we're going to take a look at what was his way, so to speak. What, was, what did it mean that he was or is the way? We're taking a look at the way of this King. And, and today we're going to take a look at a text that comes right after the text that was preached last week. The event comes right after that event. Some of you may remember, Pastor Jeff brought us a message last week about the the events on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Jesus and Peter and James and John went up onto the mountain where they saw Jesus transfigured. They saw his glory and they saw what what the reality was that Jesus was more than just the individual they saw. An amazing event. And this happens, the the text begins as they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. It's from Mark chapter 9. And it's it's verses, starts with verse 14. And I'm going to invite you to picture this scene as they return. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute and Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Uh, Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What a circus, right? I mean, imagine, imagine this scene. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to imagine it from two perspectives. First, let's take a look at the perspective of Peter and James and John. They've just seen Jesus in all of his glory. And I can imagine, I don't know if this is true, and I, I hesitate, I don't want to speculate more than I should about about scripture. I don't want to do more than what scripture tells, but, but I can, if I was in that situation, and, and especially with Peter's personality, I wonder if they're coming down the mountain going, hmm, I want to tell people about this. This was cool. I really want, I, how can I work this into conversation? How can I say enough without saying too much? What can I do? This is going to be really fun. I can't wait to tell people about this. This is going to be awesome. And on the way down the mountain, partway down the mountain, they start hearing people yelling. They start hearing the kind of low din of a crowd that's being restless. Maybe they even start picking up a word here and there and sense that some of these words are being spoken in anger. And as they come up, to where the other disciples are already engaged with some of the religious leaders. They witness that the religious leaders are telling these other disciples, maybe they're telling them, you're a fraud. You couldn't do what you set out to do. And the disciples going, however they might have responded to that. And I wonder if Peter and James and thought Peter James and John might have thought, "Oh, good grief! What in the world is this?" Or, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe imagine it from <clears throat> the other disciples' perspective. You know, uh, Philip and Andrew, and and there, here they are. Now, we don't know for sure if they know where Jesus is, but here they are in a group. Most likely they do because they figure when he comes back, this is where he's going to end up. It's not difficult to imagine that perhaps some people looked and they saw, they saw Andrew and, and Thomas and the, the other Simon, and they went, oh, those, those are the people that hang out with Jesus. Where they are, Jesus often shows up. Let's go over there. This would be great. I'd love to meet that teacher. I'd love to hear from him. And the crowd begins to develop. They may be asked questions like, where's Jesus? I don't know. 
for sure. Well, when is he coming? I, I, I don't know. We're waiting here for him and he kind of shows up when he shows up. Well, and in the midst of the questions about where's Jesus, this, this desperate father shows up. Where's Jesus? I, I, I need Jesus. We don't know. But you have to understand, I need Jesus. My son is possessed by an unclean spirit and, and the father probably laid out all of the difficult details to the disciples. And, and, and I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder, the, the disciples apparently had made an attempt Do you suppose the disciples might have looked at one another and said, um, we've watched Jesus do this before. Let's just do what he did. Right? That's all, I don't know, every, but I, that's what he does. Let me just do what he did. I can imagine it like, have you ever watched kids? Have you ever watched little kids play wedding? They don't know really what a wedding really is and they don't really understand marriage, but they know these are the words that people say at weddings and these are the things that people do at weddings. So we're gonna do what people do and say what people say and it's not really a wedding. I wonder if the, wonder if the disciples were just going, I don't know, this is what Jesus, kind of thing Jesus said. Let's say the stuff he says and maybe let's do the stuff we've seen him do and see what happens. All to no avail. And then in the distance, one of them catches the four people, Jesus, James, John, and Peter. He's here. He's coming. Oh, man, I'm so glad he's coming. I don't have a clue what we're doing. Uh, I don't know if we can, I don't know if I don't, this is going to get out of control. Ah, uh, Jesus is coming. Okay. And of course, when Jesus comes, the spirit is cast out. The boy is returned to his father. The father's request has been granted. So what do we make of this story? What do we make of this account? Well, there's a couple of things I want to point out in this story that, 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 that make it more than just a really interesting circus that we get to watch kind of through scripture. There's a couple of things I want to point out, but, but the overarching thing, the first thing I want to start with is one of the one of the things that this story tells us is that the spiritual realm is real. That there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Now, I don't know about you, but I catch myself maybe at different times on, on two different sides of this. It's easy sometimes to discount what goes on in the spiritual realm. 
Hollywood hasn't done us any favors and popular books and media don't do us any favors because they make it really easy for us to look at spiritual warfare like it's fiction. It's not fiction. It's real. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians and he puts it this way. This is Ephesians uh, chapter six, verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is real and we ought not discount it. On the other hand, there is a tendency sometimes to turn everything into spiritual warfare. Right? You know, I was getting ready to teach Sunday school and I broke a nail and it distracted me. Satan was at work. Or my nails just got really brittle and I caught it on something. You know, we have a tendency maybe to... to to make more of it than it is. Everything is a spiritual battle. Everything is, well, not everything fits into this kind of category of spiritual warfare, but it is real. And we ought not treat it like it's fiction. So, so what do we do? Then what, what do we do in the face of, of, of spiritual warfare, in the face of the work of the enemy of our soul? How do we approach that? There, there's a couple of clues here. And, and the first one that I want to point out is in verses 23 and 24. This is the exchange that Jesus has with dad. Jesus Uh, the dad is asked, if you can, would you help us? Have compassion on us. And uh, by the way, side note, notice that the dad doesn't say, if you can, would you help him? I mean, certainly the son is the one who is, is dealing with the evil spirit, but dad realizes we're all in this. Yes, it's him, but what the Spirit's doing to him is messing up my life, and it's messing up my family, and it's messing up my household. Would you have mercy on all of us and help my son? If you can, would you have mercy on us and help us? Jesus simply says, well, anything is possible for one who believes. Note the Father's response. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm gonna be honest with you, I cling to that. Have you ever been there? Like, really been there? Do you believe God is at work? Yes, I believe that God is at work. Kinda. Yes, I believe God is work at work mostly. Or maybe better said, I mostly believe God is at work. The Father says, I believe. Help me, because I 
kind of unbelief too. Some translations have said, have translated it this way. They've translated it, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And sometimes we can read that and read into it that what the Father is saying is, I believe, help me get my belief right. Help me believe better. That's not what the Greek says. The the, the Greek indicates it's much more of, yes, I believe, help me an unbeliever. Like, not help me make my belief right so I can overcome that personal fault or that individual flaw, but yes, I believe, but not like I should, so would you help me anyway? That's his plea. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't look back at him and say, let me help you with that so that we can get it right and then we can do this thing, right? I'll help you get better at believing and then we can deal with your son. No, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus casts out the spirit. Take heart that your belief is not the switch that flips God's work. Your belief is not the hinge on which Jesus functions or God functions. It's not about whether or not you believe enough or believe right. It's only a matter of what belief you have. Is it in Jesus? The man brings his son to Jesus and says, I believe? Question mark. And it's almost as if Jesus says, you've come to the right place. So our belief is not not the pin on which this turns. A second thing I don't want to lose in this, and it's the very last verse of this passage. Remember the disciples, they got back into the house and the disciples says, "Uh, Jesus, we... We tried to do it and it didn't work. What's the deal? And Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I don't know everything that that means. I don't know the difference between what can be driven out this way and what can be driven out that way. But I do know this, prayer matters. Prayer matters. And I too often live like it doesn't. I too often pray like God's going to kind of do what he does anyway, right? But, But prayer matters. And just like pretending that the spiritual realm doesn't exist, we ought not live and act like prayer doesn't matter. The final thing that I want to point out, the final, the final point I want to draw from this. 
in the big picture, as we watch this entire scene unfold, it becomes absolutely crystal clear that Jesus is the authority that can calm the chaos. This circus going on at the bottom of the mountain that was, that was attracting people from all over the place, it, it had to feel like a mob beginning to develop. And Jesus steps into the picture and Jesus is the authority that calms the chaos. Sometimes that chaos might be caused by spiritual warfare, the work of powerful forces in the heavenly places, the devil prowling like a roaring lion trying to devour us. Sometimes that's the cause of the chaos, as is the case here. Sometimes, as also is true here, sometimes the chaos happens in the public square for everybody to see. Sometimes the chaos happens in our family, behind closed doors, or in our extended family over, over text and an instant message and a phone call. And the chaos happens in places where it's not so visible. Sometimes the chaos happens in the confines of our own heart where the turmoil and the angst seems to be insurmountable. But wherever you're experiencing the chaos, this truth applies. Jesus is the authority that can calm the chaos. Notice that in the case of our text today, the chaos didn't go right away, didn't go away right away. I find it fascinating. The spirit begins to convulse the child and he's on the ground foaming at the mouth. And the crowd begins to see something going on and they begin to gather. And Jesus is, turns to the dad and says, how long has this been going on? Because Jesus knows that not only does that child need to be delivered from the spirit, but dad Dad needs to be ministered to as well. Oh, I'll get to him. How long have you had to deal with this? And then he sees the crowd gather and Jesus kind of, you wonder, Mark points it out, as he sees the crowd rushing towards him, he turns as as if in his mind, perhaps he's thinking, this boy doesn't need this. We need to clear this up before the crowd gets here. And he does. Maybe it doesn't happen right away. But however the chaos presents itself in your life, we can trust that Jesus has the authority Jesus has the authority to deal with the chaos in our lives. We can trust him. If we believe with all of our heart that Jesus is the authority that can calm the storm, he will do it. 
If we believe with most of our heart that Jesus is the authority that can calm the chaos, he will do it. If we believe kinda, and we bring the chaos to Christ, and even if we almost barely believe, he is the authority who can do it. We can bring it to him. Whatever it is, not because we get it right. Remember, it's, it's, it's not our level or quality of belief that matters. Remember also that prayer matters. And so speaking of that, would you bow and pray with me? Father God, our our lives sometimes feel invaded by the chaos. Sometimes we feel like we're in the center ring of the circus and everyone can't help but see what a mess there is all around us. Lord, sometimes that chaos is chaos no one knows about. Chaos that's sheltered in the depths of our heart that we keep hidden and yet can't seem to find a way out of. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you come with the authority that can calm the chaos? Would you come with the authority that lets us know it's not up to us to get it right, but we can trust you to do it just right. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief and calm the chaos in us and around us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or or streaming this content today. We at Triumph pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you, and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org slash connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or you can visit triumphlbc.org slash events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. 
Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.